If you haven't been around, we've been in a series called uh, God's Not Dead, and it's based on some questions coming out of that movie. Uh, There's some pretty tough questions, Um, questions that were posed to a a student, and uh, his philosophy professor made him uh, either write down on a piece of paper, God is dead, or he'd have to prove God's existence in front of the whole class of 80 students. So uh, lots of good ideas out of that movie. And it it hits on some uh, hard questions, confronting questions. And today we're going to go over the third one. Here it is. How do we respond to skeptics? How do we talk to people who just are against it, arguing all the time, don't want to listen? Well, Peter tells us. He says, always pretty inclusive word there, always be ready to give an answer to anyone, another inclusive answer, anyone who asks about the hope you have. Be ready to give the reason for it, but, but do it gently with respect, kind of a loving way. Now, there are generally two kinds of skeptics. There's a religious skeptic and there's a non-religious skeptic. Sometimes it can be very frustrating explaining something to a religious skeptic when they may be extremely self-righteous. They go to church, they, they know everything, they know all the rules, right? They're kind of like a modern-day Pharisee. It's almost like trying to communicate to a fish what it would be like being thirsty. They're so absorbed in their quote-unquote water that they completely miss the point of so much in the Bible. The non-religious skeptics can be kind of the opposite. They they can be so enamored with science that that becomes their religion. And they treasure intellectual arguments above an objective search for the truth. They're not really searching for the truth. And it makes it really difficult to match argument to argument. You know, they move the goalpost. You answer one question, well, then what about this? You know, they just keep going. But this morning, I don't really want to talk about apologetics. You know, there's something that stood out in that movie to me. There were a bunch of great examples of how to discuss your faith. Not just the words to say, but how to say those words. When we talk about our faith with skeptics, I would like to point out five goals that we should keep in mind. Keep at the forefront of our thinking. Goal number one is all about our attitude. Our attitude, how it should be. We should have a good attitude, the correct attitude. Paul writes to his apprentice, Timothy, and says, command certain people. That's a strong word. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Kind of legalistic type stuff. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. Now listen to this. The goal of this command is love. The goal of the command is love. That comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. That's why our verse today says, be ready to give a reason for it, but do it gently and with respect. 
What are the three things that we're never supposed to talk about in public? Politics, sex, and religion, right? Politics, politics and sex, everybody's talking about those all the time. Religion, we still seem to listen to that advice. So we talk about politics and sex, but not religion. But the Bible teaches that we should talk about our faith all the time. Whenever we get a chance, we just need to be wise in how we talk about it. It comes down to our execution. A famous football coach was asked about his team's poor play. The reporter asked, how do you feel about their execution? And he replied, I'm all for it. (laughs) Now that may be funny, but we don't want to have that label as Christians. There's some truth in that coach's comment. Discussing sensitive topics can lead to really ugly arguments if we're not careful. As believers, our goal should be to love the person we're talking to, not just win an argument with clever information and points that we've thought of. The goal of our instruction is love. As we see in the father's reaction in the parable son, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Listen to what Jesus says. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with tender love for his son. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, if you don't have that same compassion in you somewhere, then you don't really get what Jesus was trying to convey about God's love for those missing from his kingdom. It's crucial that we be gentle, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. When we're discussing our faith, we need to do it that way. No one likes a know-it-all, especially when you have to tactfully point out a biblical difference or misconceptions about God to a skeptic. If our goal is just to be right, if, if we just want to debate and show how much we know, well, then the battle's pretty much over. We've lost them. We don't want to win battles over, listen to this, minor points like evolution versus creation. Minor point, yes. Minor point compared to the battle for a person's soul. That's what it's all about. The goal of our instruction is love, respect, gentleness. In the movie, one of the loudest critics is Professor Radisson. He vehemently opposes Josh. But Josh does a pretty good job of restraining his emotions. He's kind of cool about the whole thing. Then we later discover that the professor has some deep pain that's driving his anti-God crusade. You know, that's a very typical scenario. Extremely typical. A lot of people have toxic waste from their past and it bubbles up to the surface. We need to be sensitive to their unseen hurts and compassionate like that prodigal son's dad. There may be an alcoholic parent in their past. 
Maybe a, a tragic death somewhere. Maybe there's a personal injury or it could be abuse, even from a church. If we knew their pain, we'd probably be more compassionate with how they arrived at that stage in their spiritual journey. Darwin himself is thought to have turned away from belief in God because of the death of his 10-year-old daughter. Remember, it's not us versus them. Really, we're all on the same side when it comes to being sinners. We're sinners trying to help other sinners find their way to God. That's what it's about. Remember to answer their questions, as Paul said here. The Lord's servant must gently teach those who disagree. Then maybe God will let them change their minds so they can accept the truth. You see, sometimes more antagonism in them means more pain in them. And that means more compassion from us is required. Here's a scene from God's Not Dead where Willie Robertson and his wife, the guys from Duck Dynasty, um, they graciously kind of take these snide remarks and still manage to show respect to this reporter named Amy. Watch this. Why do you wear those heels? What's wrong with them? You're too tall. You're taller than me. To handle it. Just saying, I don't want to be the short guy at the prom. <laughs> Mr. Robertson. Hi, or hey. should I call you Willie? You can call me Willie. Amy Ryan, I vlog the new left. Can I ask you a few questions? Yeah, sure. Fire away. This is my wife, Corey. Hi. I know. I'm actually surprised to see you here. I thought you'd be home, barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I've been barefoot and pregnant in a really long time. I did kind of miss those days, huh? Yeah. You want to start again? We can try. <laughs> no. You've made a fortune selling devices that are designed to lure waterfowl to their deaths. Uh, I guess when you say you, you're referring to the whole group of my family, which would be y'all. You can just change it to y'all. That'd be an easier expression. That way it'll get everybody in there. So y'all have made a fortune. Isn't that right? We're doing all right. We can certainly buy bigger tires on our trucks and four-wheelers to get out in the mud with, so life is good. What makes you think you have the moral right to go around maiming and killing innocent animals? Hey, look, let's just get one thing straight. I ain't maiming nothing. Whatever I see and I aim at, I shoot. When I shoot it, I kill it, and then I eat it. So you do kill those ducks? Of course I do. What we're going to do, cook them while they're still moving around? That would be cruel. That'd be bad. So, so this isn't an act. You're actually proud of what you do. Of course I am. Why would I do it if I'm not proud of it? And you go along with everything he says? <laughs> We've been married for 20 years. I don't go along with everything he says, but on the things that matter, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. So what do you say to people who are offended by your show, not just because of the hunting, but because you openly pray to Jesus in every episode? Hey, we're not trying to offend anybody, all right? If they don't want to watch the show, they can turn the channel. As far as my praying to Jesus, my life and my whole eternity belongs to God. All this stuff... It's temporary. The money, fame, success, temporary. Even life is temporary. Jesus, that's eternal. Jesus said this, whoever acknowledges me before men, he will acknowledge before the Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me, I'll disown him. 
to the Father. Now those words are written in red, so they're important. And that's it? That's it. That's what we're going with. Pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks for your time. Come on, let's go do some acknowledging. All right. You're welcome to join us. No, thanks. I'm good. Did you notice there's no condescension toward Amy? No self-righteous indignation at her remarks. It's a good example of how to respond to a skeptic, to a critic who doesn't really understand. We don't need to return evil for evil. And that leads to goal number two. Share the truth, not clever arguments. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. That's the gospel. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, it's the power. We don't have to know every answer or every analogy, but we do need to know the truth, the gospel. Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying for our sins, rising from the dead as he said he would do to prove he is who he is. Now, maybe you're not as witty as the Robertsons. That was a movie. They got to read lines, probably. They had that thing planned out. But it's not about being so clever. It's not about all these facts and dates and figures. It's okay to know some answers to topical questions or about origin theories or pygmies in Africa. But your goal should be to love them. And the most loving thing you can do is share Jesus Christ with them. Share what he's done in your life. As Paul tells the Romans, this is God's power for salvation. Your testimony is God's power. Paul also says to the church in Ephesus that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, almost like a weapon. Listen what the writer of Hebrews says. God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones. And it judges the thoughts and feelings in our heart. You know, we spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the validity of the Bible to say that the Bible is true for people who are skeptical about that. But guess what? Even if you believe in the Bible, it's still sharp. It's very sharp. It's a double-edged sword to a non, uh, non-religious skeptic or a religious skeptic. And you know what? It's like a, a scalpel. It can cut down into the innermost being. can affect people. God's word is powerful. So remember, when you have that scalpel, it has to be used with skill. It's not a cleaver that you just chop things up with and make a mess. It's a scalpel. Also, this is a spiritual battle. It's not just a battle of wits. Because like I said, souls are on the line here. Paul says this. Now, if this doesn't scare you, nothing will. Our fight, okay, whatever that fight is, including talking to skeptics, is not against human beings. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. 
It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly world. Whoa! I don't think I'm up for fighting that all by myself. God better be there or I'm going to get beat very easily. All those powers, and that's a good segue into goal number three. We need to be humble. We can't do this by ourselves. We don't have any special power on our own. It's only the Spirit of God in us. Peter tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Remember, I'm just one beggar sharing a piece of bread with another beggar. That's all any of us are. We have nothing to boast about because it's all God's grace that saved us from our sins. All him, every bit of it. Remember, Paul said, knowledge puffs up. Look what I know. That's knowledge. But love builds up. This means it's okay to admit that you do not know an answer to a question. That's totally okay. You don't have to be a theologian to help show the love of God to somebody. People will respect your humility to say that you don't know everything. People will actually respect that. We're all afraid, oh, they'll think I'm stupid. They'll respect your honesty. When Professor Radisson challenges Josh with new information about Stephen Hawking's theories, Josh says, I don't know, but that doesn't change my faith. That's brilliant. Don't think you have to know everything to share the gospel or defend what you believe. Just because we don't have all the answers doesn't mean we don't have enough answers to plot a course, to take a stand, to make a choice. You can also use those opportunities of not knowing something to say, hey, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you on it. Kind of keeps that relationship going. It's the next appointment. Even though you don't have to have all the answers, it's not to say that you shouldn't have some answers. There's so much out there. They exist. There's books. There's internet sites that can help you with all kinds of things. So you should have an idea of what you believe, why you believe it on some of the basic things. For instance, here's a little tidbit. There were many famous scientists who were also believers. Here's a short list. Newton, Kepler, Pascal, Bacon, Pasteur, Kelvin, Carver, Fleming, von Braun, just to name a few. Having a tidbit like that Maybe that can uh, be there for when you need to pull it out, and that's going to make a few science heads turn because they think that science and faith are incompatible. You can be both brilliant as a scientist and recognize intelligent design. These scientists did, and they were geniuses. Having some answers is a defense for the hope that you have in you. But sometimes the answer isn't what we really need. The pushback we get might just be some smoke screen. It's it's a way to hide people's real issues. Many times what's needed is empathy. Real life has real hardships. 
And they require real compassion, real honesty. Like, I don't know why your grandparents were killed in that auto accident, but even though I don't know where they are today, I know God loved them and I know He feels your pain. Not a Bible verse, but some empathy, some sympathy. We see this in the movie when Amy, the reporter, goes backstage to meet the newsboys, the guys that did God's Not Dead, the song, and they're getting ready to do a concert. And she shows up and she's challenging them with all these questions. They see through the smoke and they reach out to her. They kind of discern what's going on and ask her some questions. And she kind of breaks down and tells them she's got cancer. It's a really emotional scene. Sometimes folks just need to know we care. That leads to our next goal. We need wisdom. We need to be wise with all this stuff. Pray for wisdom. Pray when you're interacting with somebody that you would know what to do, what to say, what not to say, what not to do. Ask God to open your eyes to see a real need that may be there. And then you can show some genuine concern. He may give you wisdom that is void of any biblical scripture kind of memory verse. He may not give you that. He may just give you wisdom in to do a simple act of kindness. There are other times when the Spirit prompts you to talk about spiritual things because maybe you're the next in line of a whole bunch of people who did some groundwork before you. You know, the Bible does teach us that one person plants, another one waters, and then God makes the increase, or God grows it. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is huge. The harvest meaning people who can come to God. The harvest is huge, but there are only a few workers. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest field. It's okay to ask God to bring more people to help. It's, it's true that other people are, are asking God to bring more workers, and you may be one of them. Still other times, you just need some good old street smart yakking. <laughs> you just need to get a little street smart. Because Jesus said this too, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. What could be more vulnerable than the she- a sheep in front of a pack of wolves? That's how he says he's sending us out. So he says, be cunning as snakes, but as innocent as doves. As believers, we can get so excited about sharing our faith, or maybe so bold in sharing our faith, that we kind of lose the sense of tact. And we just want to tell everybody how wonderful it is. Without meaning to do it, we shove it in their face. We push it down their throats. Now, maybe that zeal is refreshing sometimes, but it must be accompanied with the knowledge that not everyone is ready to believe. We shouldn't tug on the green fruit. Look for opportunities to talk about your faith, but know when to back off when someone isn't open to your enthusiasm. may not be God's timing. Paul talks about how strategic we can get. He says, use your heads as you live and work among outsiders, those outside the family of faith. 
Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. In the movie, there are several examples of different people on on different places in their journey. Everybody's on a spiritual journey, whether they know it or not. But we see people that are uh, really in completely different places. Uh, If you didn't see the movie, I'll kind of describe some of these people. There's a Muslim uh, young girl who gives her heart to Jesus Christ. And uh, her father's a very strict Muslim. And he kicks her out of the house. It's really kind of uh, mean. (laughs) A terrible time in the movie. You, You wonder, golly, should they have put that in there? That's kind of nasty there. But some people are like that. They're not interested in the gospel at all. In fact, they're violently opposed to it. Professor Radisson is another character. He just wanted to argue. He just wanted to contest the truth, no matter what proofs were presented. The reporter, Amy, some are like her, were just not content with life and dismissing Willie and and his wife's invitation to church, you know? No thanks, I'm good. That's another type of person. There's a guy named Martin Yip. He's an Asian guy who Josh befriends in the movie. He's a guy who's honestly looking for the truth of God, even though he came from a country, in his case, where he didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, nothing at all. We need to have wisdom to discern people like this, where they are in their spiritual journey, and combine that with genuine love for them, no matter what. If they throw the kitchen sink at us, we still need to love them. Now, that may need a lot of prayer. That may need some help. And that's goal number five. Pray for them. Pray for these people. Jesus told a parable about a farmer that sowed seed. And uh, he, after he talks about what happened to the seed that fell on different types of ground, he talks about what it actually means. He said, people hear the message about the kingdom, but don't understand it. Then the evil one comes. He steals what was planted in their hearts. Those people are like the seed planted on a path. The seed that fell on rocky places, is like other people. They hear the message, and at once they receive it with joy. But they have no roots, so they last only a short time. They quickly fall away from the faith when trouble or suffering comes because of the message. The seed that fell among the thorns is like others who hear the message, but then the worries of this life and the false promises of wealth crowd it out. They choke it out. And that keeps the message from producing fruit. But the seed that fell on good soil is like those who hear the message and understand it. They produce a crop a hundred times, 60 times, 30 times more than the farmer planted. When someone first hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, there are a number of things that can happen. Initially, their heart may be tender. But it can be kind of like a bruise that's ultra-sensitive to the touch. Ooh, ooh. 
That's that Holy Spirit shining light. But if nothing is done about that, the heart becomes hard, callous. Once you've shared the gospel with someone, you've got to remember to pray. Pray that those seeds would take root in their heart and they'd produce more fruit. That's another way to show God's love, just by praying for people that are skeptical. And you can be specific. You can pray that the Holy Spirit would shine a light on their need for forgiveness. You know, a lot of people don't, they they just don't have that conviction. So it's hard for them to even admit that they need forgiveness. My wife is an elementary school principal, and she tells me it's that way with kids sometimes. They, They come in because they got in trouble for something, and they don't even know they did anything wrong. Is that wrong? They just have no content. That's our society today. And if you don't need forgiveness, what do you need Jesus for? That's where they are. So pray that the Holy Spirit would shine a light on that need for forgiveness. You can pray that they would be reminded of the truth of the gospel in multiple ways. Not just by your words, but maybe by when they walk outside and see something in nature. Or they hear that little voice in their head saying, hey, maybe you should check this out. We could pray that we could develop a friendship with them. A real friendship. And then ask God for those divine appointments. You know those times when you just know this is when I'm God, give me the words. Here it comes. The window's opening. You could pray that other Christ followers would come into their lives and show them God's love as well. So there's like confirmation there. They keep hearing the same thing from multiple people. We've got to remember this. Jesus Christ loves the whole world. That's why he said he wants all people to be saved. He wants them to come to know the truth. We're all in need. We're all prisoners. It's just that some captives, like we were, now we've been set free, some of us, have escaped, and now we're trying to help others escape. So be in tune with the Spirit. Pray a lot. When you discuss your faith and give answers for some of these tough questions, do it with humility. Do it with gentleness. Seek to win them over to Christ, not just start a debate. It's not just about arguing. That's really no fun for anybody. It's about winning them to Christ. Remember what the goal of our instruction is. It's to love. It's to be gentle. It's to be respectful. Let's pray. God, we need your help on this one big time because we don't want to do this. (laughs) I know all of us. We don't want to do this. We want to live our cushy Christian life and come to church in here for an hour and go home feeling good. I don't know why it's so hard for us to desire the job of helping to populate heaven. Help us, Holy Spirit. Give us boldness. Give us compassion. Give us direction. And God, every time it works... We'll be careful to give you the credit because we're fighting against principalities and powers in the heavenlies. We don't have enough guts for that. 
but you do. You've already defeated all of that. So we believe in you, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and we call on you to give us this thing called love for the lost. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.